Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Neurodetergent. And this is Katie, licensed professional counselor. Our goal is to reach like-minded folks in an effort to connect, encourage, and support each other in our struggles navigating life with neurodivergence. And? And? To have some fun. And some fun. And laughs. And laughs. Along the way, Katie. Along the way. (laughs) If you've got a stubborn stain on your Eric, and you're listening to Neurodetergent. We are on episode seven already. Oh, Can you believe it? That's really cool. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. How are you doing? I'm good. So you had an interesting weekend. Yeah. You got to guest on someone else's podcast. You want to talk did. about that real quick? Sure. Uh, so I was on Rosie Turner's podcast. She's from London, I believe. Mm-hmm. And her podcast is called Untangled. And what exactly do they deal with? <clears throat> ADHD. Um, okay. So... She, um, she was diagnosed, she's kind of going through the process of like, um, like trying to find a psychiatrist, get a, like a formal diagnosis, oh, okay. like all that. Um, and so she kind of talks about like, um, like dispelling shame around like as an adult around like getting diagnosed with ADHD and sort of like those coping mechanisms that maybe like developed as a result of that and mm-hmm. not being diagnosed and like how to kind of untangle that and like dispel the shame around it. Okay. So it's really cool. I'm looking forward to, She's it. just a doll. She's very lovely. Very lovely. Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> you know, if there's anybody out there listening that feels like maybe they have something to add, I would be, I don't know about you, Katie, but I would be open to having a guest on Absolutely. the show. Absolutely. I have been like excited about that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, shoot us an email, neurodetergent.pod at gmail.com. And, you know, we can kind of talk back and forth and if it's something that we feel like we can make work and uh within the context of what we're trying to do then uh i, th- I would be more than happy to set something like that up mm-hmm. and so. what we are trying to do is just form a community right of neurodivergent people uh where we can kind of laugh and accept and each other accept each and other support each other and those kinds of things so that uh maybe we can have a network you know yeah throw back to the mission statement of the show yes <laughs> do you like that <laughs> i do like it <laughs> So today what we're talking about is masking. Yes. And I I want to go ahead and say that I feel like maybe I didn't really understand what that was okay. until I looked into it this weekend. Yeah. Um, you like educated yourself. In, in preparation, yes. And, and hopefully I can get a little bit more educated from you today. Yeah. <clears throat> and then anybody who might be listening who wasn't really sure of what that was or if they did it can get a little bit more educated today so um real quick what exactly is masking like how would you define that in the context of someone who might be neurodivergent okay um i would say like masking would be um finding ways to conceal parts of your behaviors or personality that in a social setting or like a work setting other people might be um, turned off by or like um, bothered by. Can you give me some examples of what that might look like? Yeah. So, um, so like neurodivergent people specifically um, more talked about like in autism or ASD mm-hmm. um, people do, people have like self-stimulating behaviors and we call that stimming. Okay. Okay. And like that can range from anywhere from like, um, you know, uh, 
Like clicking a pin Click, over and over again. Yeah, maybe? or maybe like flapping your arms. You've okay. sp- maybe seen that. Right. Um, wiggling your fingers. Wiggling things your like fingers. Those. Rocking. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Uh, or just like repetitive behavior that soothes um, somebody. So like when you're a baby, you self-soothe. Okay. By sucking your thumb. All right. 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 And that's what gets you back to sleep when you're when you know when you're transitioning from like feedings and stuff so that's like what that. we mean right. by stimming St- like self-soothing behavior but okay. like this self-soothing behavior might be something that socially is unacceptable okay. so like if you're in the middle of a store and like you're standing next to somebody and they start flapping their arms you might be like what's 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 why happening yeah, why why but like there's they're self-soothing and okay. so uh masking would be um engaging in a process of like concealing that stimming behavior so that you do something else instead or you just don't do Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So I want to talk about some of the things that I've kind of learned about it. And um, I watched some like TED Talks on it. And there's a couple of YouTube channels. Unfortunately, I didn't write the name, but there was one really good one uh, with a guy that kind of went, had a couple of videos on it. Um, But this TED Talk I watched was like the first thing I watched on it. And it was pretty heartbreaking. Um, because the person in the, in the, that did the talk kind of did kind of a, um, demonstration of like what they referred to as social scripting. Okay. Right. So it's like interaction starts here and then I make some comment about the weather and then that person responds and then I, um, start talking about an interest of mine and yeah. and those kinds of things. And like, I definitely don't do that. That's not something that I I've ever, yeah, no. so it's not something I have a lot of experience with, but you, you said just, like, that, you, you know, you... someone that does that or yeah, producer Sarah. Our producer does Sarah that. Yeah. So let me kind of go back and then we'll come back to Sarah. Um, when you say like, uh, shoot, I just lost it. Hang on just a second. Sorry. Um, Insert generic comment here. Uh, Something like that. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Well, let's just go past that and talk about like the scripting. A lot of people do that. Like, um, I first really understood that when Sarah and I were talking one time and she was talking about eye contact Uh and how in her, in her head, she does not know the length of time that is appropriate Uh to like give eye contact. And so there have been times where she's counted, um, like, okay, that's enough. Break. Oh, like, wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't fathom that. That seems like so distracting to me. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. When you are going to go talk to somebody or whatever, mm-hmm. like for Sarah, she might have a script, right? And th- that wouldn't be like if she was coming to talk to me, she wouldn't like formulate a script. Right, but a new she's person. She's like going to a boss or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I am just abstract, right? I'm like, okay, I know I want to go have this conversation with this person. It's about this. These are the the topics that I want to like bring up, but it's all, I don't take notes. It's, it's like all in my mind. Uh-huh. And I kind of go in there and I just go, okay. Bleh. Right. Uh, and I say it like, kind of like when Sarah, we do the show. Like, right. I'm but not, yet like, Sarah might have a whole script a whole and script. it's like, and if somebody deviates from the script a little bit or something happens, it's like, it's like kind of a shut down and go into like, like, I don't know what to like do at this mode, point. Basically. Yeah. And it's like, yes, just to, just being agreeable. Mm-hmm. Um, like, now, is that fair? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I definitely, um, if I know that I'm going to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody, if it's going to be like a confrontational type thing, whether it be at work 
or if I have to bring up someone's performance and have a have a conversation with them, I will practice that speech. You will out loud. Oh yeah, out loud. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I do that a lot. I like actually. That. Okay. Um, would you consider that like a form of masking, or would that just be me just being prepared? To have this conversation with somebody and making sure I get my thoughts in order and say things in a way that I feel like can be received. I mean, to me, that's being thoughtful. Yeah. Because from the... That's not masking. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different because it feels like, at least in what I've seen and what you explained with Sarah, is that whenever someone who's neurodivergent is masking, they are almost splitting the attention Mm -hmm. between that interaction and that yes. analytical side of Absolutely. how they like how have to go perceived. through it. And yeah. one of the things that I'm seeing in some of the the research that I've done, I hate using that word because it's just like watching YouTube videos and stuff. And but in what research, I've done yeah. um, is them saying like that is so exhausting oh, because yeah. it takes so much like brain power. It's interesting to- too because like some of the most intelligent people I know, mm-hmm. Sarah for example, are the people that do that. And it's like, oh my gosh, if you could free up that other half of your brain that is like working so hard to like placate whoever is across from you. You'd be unstoppable. You'd be unstoppable. <laughs> oh, you're wearing headphones. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Sorry. I'll be quiet. <laughs> that would be masking. Like if I quieted my voice, mm-hmm. I have a loud voice and I have a loud laugh. Uh, we're episode seven here. Yeah. Everyone People knows. Know. Everyone, yeah, knows everyone knows I have a loud laugh. Um, if I tried to quiet that in places or if I try to stifle that or mm-hmm. like um, check out so that I'm not like in that space where I feel free to laugh like that, that's masking. Right. So um, – There was a quote that someone said on one of these videos, and I want to read it out loud, um, because I was under the impression earlier that masking would be like anything that you do to kind of regulate your behavior in any kind of social setting. And this person says there's a difference between having a socially constructed self that is authentic and masking. And from what I'm seeing is it's like, um, let me look at my notes here, um, you know, they refer to it as something like camouflaging and that whenever they mask as as a young person and those the behavior of them masking is then reinforced by parents Absolutely. and teachers. And, I mean, look at your childhood, for example, right. when your dad would say, remember who you are and whose you are. Right. That's like him say, like saying, mask the fuck up. We're going to church. Right. (laughs) Which is a little different than us going into like a, like an antique store and him being like, put your hands in your pockets and don't touch anything because. Please be like careful. Because I know you're going to break something. That's a much different thing, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But so like this, let's talk about the effects of this and and how they could sometimes be damaging because what this one person said on that first video and trigger warning, um, they trigger warning for what for suicide okay, okay suicidal okay, thoughts yeah thank you um they 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 would follow this kind of script in this interaction yeah and that was them learning how to fit in and yeah. they would mimic other people's behaviors they would overanalyze those interactions after the fact to notice the mistakes they've made. And they even said, I became fluent in neurotypical. Yeah. Um, I'd say I was at a time very fluent in neurotypical. 
<laughs> and she got reinforcement from mm-hmm. th- the teachers and friends, was making friends, and felt like they were being accepted. But by the time they were, I believe, eight years old, they were in therapy. Yeah. They were on antidepressants. They attempted suicide at 11 years old. And they threw a, a statistic out there. Autistic children, 28% more likely to attempt suicide. Do you feel like that is a common byproduct Absolutely. from something like masking and feeling like your true self is I going to be rejected and you can't be yourself and you can't. Here's the thing, Eric. It's true. That's the thing is that mm-hmm. when I, when I had, a, I, I, the best thing I can call it is an identity crisis mm-hmm. uh, and started mapping out my values and saw that like I had completely masked over my values and was this person that I didn't want to be. And when I took my mask off, so to speak, and be, and was like, I'm going to be authentically myself, I lost everything. I'm and not married. I don't have the same job. I don't have the same friends. I don't have the same family. That sounds rough. Yeah. How it do you, was. How do you like, deal with that? It makes me emotional to think about, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm happier than I've ever been. That's good, though. <laughs> and I'm also very aware and self-aware of how much I need to do to, like, recover from what I did to myself. Really? Yeah. And that's uh, and you're making uh, good progress there. It Thanks. looks like so. Thank I'm you. I'm happy for you. <laughs> uh, decades of masking can make someone feel like they don't like who they are. Do you feel like that's an accurate statement? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just again, back to the identity crisis. Me, three a.m. Poster board mm-hmm. on the floor, mapping out my values, like and, go, and like crying. Oh, wow. and like p- having a panic attack. Like, what? Who am I? Wow. I did not like who I was. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want to be with myself. When I was alone, it felt frantic. I didn't want to think my thoughts. Now it's different, right? I can spend days alone and be perfectly content. So in what ways would you mask Um, up until that point? I think that my entire self was masked. It's, It's hard to describe. Sarah knew me. And I knew Sarah back mm-hmm. when we first met. We were both, like, very masked. Um, I was working, like, four jobs. Uh, I was telling Sarah that I was going to try to do improv. I, I was working my own practice, and it was, like, I was public-facing. Wow. Big time. So, like, um, doing workshops at, like, juvenile uh, officer um, conventions and, oh, like, wow. stuff like that. Like, very public-facing, like... Um, Public speaking, like giving like speeches I and things? I coordinated and put on like a re- charity relief effort single-handedly while I worked at Mother's Brewing Company. Like I partnered with them uh-huh. and like raised thousands and thousands of dollars and like went to like places of business in Springfield and got them to donate. Like I got a, like a big green egg. I got a, like a, a really nice kayak. Like I got a bunch of stuff donated. Oh, wow. And we raised like a fuck ton of money like for like uh convoy of hope like i was out there like and right. um it was like i don't know like i the person that you probably saw and how i was masked was very much like had my shit together so did that not was that not fulfilling I, for you like the things that i was masking was mm-hmm. like a very troubled relationship mm-hmm. um 
uh, my boss was like a pretty aggressively like not hearing me and like was anyway I won't get into that right um I had all of these things that were working against me but like everything's great we were going on family vacation like we were doing all this stuff but like in out in like nobody knew it's hard to picture you (laughs) any other way than you yeah have been because I've met you after the fact I basically didn't have a single minute in my life where I was just like sitting and chilling because the impression that I get from you is that you are unapologetically Katie. Yeah. And so that wasn't the case. How long ago? Two, three years, four years ago? I'd say more like, uh, probably eight years ago, eight years ago, Maybe like um, seven, six years ago. So was this like, I would assume that this wasn't an overnight change. I would assume that this took some time and took some work. How was that? Like, what was that process like for you? Well, it kind of started with, I hate to like bring it back to Trump, but like it started (laughs) in 2016 when Trump got elected and it was like kind of the first time in my life where I had girlfriends and like felt like a good bond with some people. Mm -hmm. And like, um, and it was like, I was tuned in and aware of politics because of my job. And it was, like, the first time where I was, like, oh, my gosh, like, there's just a lot of not good people. And in my mind, I was so idealistic. I was, like, everybody, if given the the choice to be good or bad, would be good. Like, so idealistic, where I really believed, like, people at their core were, like, good. And then Trump got elected. And I was and you're like, like, that throws that this idea out the I was window. Like, this is scary. And I threw myself into like everything I could that was like, uh, like that would give me opportunities to be alone. And like where I was just absorbing as much information as I could about women and like women's empowerment and like women's struggles and like Brene Brown, mm-hmm. all of it, Oprah, just absorbing it and being like, what's happening? In right. The world? And it's, it's. <laughs> It's hard to imagine you not being, like, politically motivated uh, yeah. and things like that. It's, so. it, it's interesting. I should start, like, screenshotting my memories mm-hmm. from, like, 10 years ago oh, and sharing them yes, with you. please do. <laughs> because it is wild. Just be like, this is how different. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny because – it's funny that you say that because I feel like I've been very consistent in yeah. my values uh, for a long time. And I had shared – some dumb thing that I had posted like 12 years ago and a friend of mine messaged me and they were like, I love how you are exactly the same yeah. person as you've always I, been. I want to say too, cause I think it's important to kind of say this here uh-huh. is there is a cataclysmic difference between women masking and men masking. Okay. Let's, and let's talk about that. the pressure, uh, the AFAB people, AFAB, um, assigned female at birth. Okay. Have to conform, to not be stumbling blocks, um, to not get in the way of, to be smaller, to be quieter, to be nice, to be sweet, to be con- all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so reinforced socially that, like, I would say most women that you encounter <laughs> as adults have. They are seasoned maskers. Really? <laughs> yes. Whether neurotypical, neurodivergent or not. Um, you think that's... Uh, I think like... I'm, I'm, I hope that, I should say, that with this sort of new wave of like... um, 
understanding of like personal and like human growth and like how trauma affects people and like neurodivergence and all of those things that we're learning about right now. I hope that that changes things. But when you hear me and Sarah talk about masking and like the sort of like the evolution of ourselves as we unmasked and like stopped doing that, Mm -hmm. it is probably kind of foreign to you. Maybe you don't understand it. You've like you said, you've been consistent and the same for a long time. Um, There is a big difference. Uh, And it is because we live in a patriarchy and, and like, because women are meant, are, are reinforced socially to conform. So do you feel like I would have naturally just an easier time being myself? I mean, as a straight, cis, white man, Mm -hmm. you have the easiest time. (laughs) I mean, I'm... You're not wrong. <laughs> Being yourself. <laughs> You're not wrong. Like you, you fit in though. Like socially, uh, you don't like you, you aren't forced to mask in ways like a lot of women are forced to mask to get a job. Okay. Right. Like, uh, me now, even me then when I worked at the hospital, I was still not masked enough. I still was too much. Really? How, how who who on earth could could Katie be too much oh for? <laughs> Sarah, can you imagine if I just sat here and listed who I was too much for? It'd be a two parter. <laughs> so, did you have any feelings like um, maybe when you had that? Because you you talked about. I felt like I was dying. Mapping out all your values and how that was a really hard time for you, and and I actually had written down. Here, one of the notes was that they didn't know who they were after unmasking. And, you know, they were just constantly asking themselves, who Uh, am I? Um, And from another perspective, this person, this other person said that they felt like friends didn't want to get to know the real them and that they only get to know the mask. And maybe I don't want them to get to know the mask that well either because they'll eventually see that it's fake. uh, Exactly. They're going to see through me, which is, that is is a lot of the work that I actually do mm -hmm. with, uh, with clients that are like on the spectrum. Okay. So because, and, and like this, and maybe I'm wrong about this. This is just like my experience. So don't take it with a grain of salt, whatever. Um, so like, what I have learned about like male masking and I hate to separate it like that, but I'm going to for a second. It's like, I have worked with clients who, um, they become friends, right. With somebody. Right. And they are masking. And then that friendship can only stay so, um, like it can only be so deep because it, once they start to unmask that person feels the other person maybe feels betrayed. Like, who are you really? Like okay. almost like tricked into being their friend, maybe. And that's speculation. I, I can only assume. Like they may feel that you've misrepresented you've who misrepresent- you are. Yeah, and- absolutely. And it okay. is true. And so if you are on the spectrum, for example, and like, let's say you have a bunch of weird special interests, like that aren't very common or typical mm-hmm. for people. And, um, and so then you mask all of those things that you like and what make you you and you're not you when you're trying to make friends with people. And so the friends that you do make, it's not authentic. And so then it feels empty. And then when you like do let out some of the things that you're trying, like that you're masking, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's met with like, who's that? That's not you. And so how do you then convince somebody like actually, uh, who you met wasn't me. This is me when you're even confused about that. Mm -hmm. I, I think about it like, 
when you were younger, did you ever have those night like nights where you stay? You're like you're trying to go to sleep, and you're like thinking of all the things you'll do different the next day. Like, oh, be of course, better. or just like you know, think about any time you <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, all the time, all <laughs> literally every day. Right. It's it's like I can describe it like that, but it was like a, uh, something that was happening like all the time, where I was like I wanted to change and be myself, but I was so afraid that other people would be like, "You can't be like that. That's not mm-hmm. you." It's like, how do I convince people that this really is me? Well, that <laughs> kind of leads me to a question okay. that I had formulated and was going to probably save this for later on, but I feel it feels very appropriate right now. Okay. Um, how do we notice masking in others and how do we accommodate and provide a safe space for someone to be themselves? I think that we model it. Okay. So... Let your freak flag fly, and that'll show you that you can be comfortable being. Do no you know, harm, right? Kind of right under that pretense. Do what you like, will, but no harm, harm none. Yeah. yeah, like it's sort of like you don't. I I kind of think about people who are like, well, I'm just I just tell it like it is. Ugh. I'm just a truth teller, and it's like you're no, you're an asshole. You, what you are saying might be the truth, but you're like you don't have to be a dick. Here's what I have to say about that because I used to be that guy. Oh, right. I used to be the well, I'm just brutally honest. I'm just blunt. That's just how I am. Mm. But you know what that got me? A lot of people dumped, hurt. fired, passed over for opportunities. Yeah, yeah. there's and there's a like, way you can be truthful right? and be honest with people and not be a dick about it. Right, and that's something that you know, in a way, I still struggle with from time to time. I've gotten a lot better at it though. Yeah, I think that like uh, so. There's like therapy uh, that that cert- that like people do for um like kids who are on the spectrum that involves like uh behavioral changes okay. to keep them like to try to like make them typical right right um that's inappropriate like if, if somebody self stem or like somebody self stimulates or like soothes themselves by doing this mm-hmm. she's who waving cares? her arms for those of you I'm, yeah I'm, I'm flapping my arms who cares you're not hurt why would you i've seen people take their kids arms and hold them to the side. Oh wow! And and say don't do that. And it's I'm not like, normal what? behavior. Like it that's, makes they me say things cry like that. right now. Wow. Thinking about that because it's like <sighs> they don't realize. Ooh. I think yeah, and I I would imagine that a lot of parents might not realize that they think um, they're, do- they're doing what's best. That could lead to long term. <sighs> Uh, seriously damaging side effects in that person's life. I mean, you know, I talked about this person that I watched give a uh, speech, attempted suicide at 11 years old. Yeah. 11 years old. I've worked with a lot of kids that, younger than that, who have multiple times attempted suicide and have. have. It's sad. It's like, what are we doing? (laughs) So do you feel like, do you feel like you are a good enough observer of human behavior that if you met someone for the first time that you would be able to suss out whether or not they might be masking some things in front of you. I think I would suss out. I don't like to say suss out. I think I would determine probably within the first like 20 minutes or so Uh if they were neurodivergent or if they were neurotypical. And then from there I'd probably like go, okay, these are, and so then I would just, um, you know, I would go from there. Like, I I think that people, for whatever reason, are very disarmed by me when we start talking uh, and, like, are able to kind of, like, so I think a lot of people probably around me more than other people 
unmet or like don't feel they feel just comfortable being themselves yeah. around you because like i said you are very like unapologetically yourself right and i think modeling that for other people and people seeing that makes them feel safe to go oh this is a person i can be myself around so let's talk about because um in the break sarah showed us a picture of of you when you first met she also showed us a picture of her herself um back when she was like more corporate sarah corporate sarah and corporate stooge sarah (laughs) and let's talk about like masking at work okay you know um what might that look like especially for someone who is neurodivergent maybe even on the spectrum right Mm -hmm. um like, what could a day at work look like for someone like that as opposed to maybe a neurotypical or maybe someone who doesn't really mask? So, like, here, here's a good example of, like, me masking it when I would mask at work. Okay. I would sit, right, in mm-hmm. my chair. Like, say we were doing a meeting. Okay. I would sit on my hands. Okay. So that I would not tear my skin off my hands. That's what <laughs> I do. Um, I would just sit there until I couldn't anymore and then I would slowly start to unfold (laughs) and then by the end of it I'm probably blurting things out and I've colored all over the piece of paper that I was given I um I probably have a way harder time masking than like say Sarah and I don't know if that's because Sarah's more on the spectrum than I am and I have hyperactivity and she doesn't right um Sarah masking would look like somebody who is very like attending straight up mm-hmm. postured eye contact calculated, calculated expressions, expressions mm-hmm. um does not interrupt only speaks when it's like precise and something important to say um would uh be taking notes diligently okay. um but like walking out it would be like the only thing that was retained is what's written on the notes <laughs> right because <laughs> whereas i so yes. much energy is being right. focused into behaving the correct way during this meeting and making mm-hmm. sure that you're taking notes and, and, and looking as attentive as possible that you're not really, yeah, you're not there. You're, pre- you're not present maintaining the meat of it. That's why I tell you that is a benefit of working from home. Cause I do a lot of meetings, yeah. right? I have eight meetings a week with, uh, that is a one-on-one meeting with people that report to me. I have another meeting with my boss. It's a one-on-one and I report to him. And then I have a team meeting with all of them. So that's 10 meetings a week. Um, and where was I going with this? The great thing about working from home. Oh, not having to like be a t- like. Right. Because we record our meetings. Oh. So I can always go back and look at them. And I've got oh, a person, yeah. the uh, my, my team lead on the team meetings takes the notes and then sends those to the team afterwards. So uh, that's been really helpful because there's a lot of times where. I may not remember what Mm -hmm. I've said in a meeting, even though I've sent out an agenda and all that, but I can find in the notes where it said it. And then whenever someone's like, well, I didn't know we had to do that. I'm like, actually, here's the meeting notes and here's a video clip of me telling you. (laughs) It's good to have the backup though. Me though, it's like I start out strong Mm -hmm. and I'm like, um, very there. And, but by the end I'm unraveled. Uh, but I remember every single second. I remember what people said. I remember the order they said it. I remember where they're sitting, what they were wearing, their expression on their face. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel like I am maybe like somewhere in between there. Yeah. You know, because I'm very – a lot of times I'm very in the moment in those things, especially 
considering that nine out of the 10 meetings that I am a part of during the week, I'm conducting. Okay. So I already know what I want to talk about. I have agendas for everything. I have it pulled up and I'm very like conscious of we start on time, we end on time. We don't, we don't go over. We're going to, I'm going to respect your time. You're going to respect mine. Right. And, uh, aw, she just showed me another picture. That's they probably, just showed like, me another picture. peak me right before my breakdown. Wow. <laughs> you can just see the... It's it's a picture. Maybe we'll put some of these yeah, on the, maybe we on the will. Facebook we should, page. People should go in to our Facebook and share their, their like, pre- and post, like, unva- like masked versions. Well, let's talk about unmasking then. Yeah. So, um, I watched a video on that actually this morning right before you guys got here. Um, and basically what they were saying is that you really have to find out for yourself who you are and what you want when you are alone Mm -hmm. and embrace those parts of yourself that you might not prefer are there. Those, those parts of yourself that are there, but embracing them and then being able to indulge in your coping mechanisms and the ways that you recharge and yeah. your special interests by yourself. And that can be like super yeah. healthy. But uh, that person said it's a lot like coming out yeah. to people. And what like did you you said you lost friends, family, relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is there like with the exception of Sarah, is there like nobody else? My kids. Your kids? So did you have that, like, coming out? My aunt is the, probably the only one in my family, and my youngest yeah. brother are the only people in my family that I still maintain, like, some contact with. So did you have kind of, like, a coming out moment with these people, and what did that look like, where it's, you're just like, yeah. hey, I'm... <laughs> so it's weird, because, like, you have... I guess you have to look at it. You can't look at it in a vacuum. Like, it's not, like, the only thing going on in my life at that time was, like... Uh, that I was like having this moment of like identity crisis right. and like because my brother had cancer. Oh wow! Uh, during that time, like I was uh, like again, Trump got elected, and so there was a lot of that going on where it was like really hard for me to accept that. Mm-hmm. I know that like a lot of people say that, and it's something that like a lot it had affected a lot of people. But like I'm telling you, when Trump got elected, like I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. Um, when Kavanaugh was go- when he was being uh, groomed for the Supreme Court, right? Like going through There's the hearings, hearings and all those. Kinds I of things. couldn't get off my couch. Like at one point, my partner at the time came home, and it was like 86 degrees in my house. I was laying on the couch, the blanket over me, and I had not moved for like three hours. Wow! And I couldn't. I was like dissociated. It was really, really, really hard. And I think because a lot of that time too, I was like kind of like going through like the second grief of my mom dying because I was like you know like learning about grief and things like that and so it's like my brother had cancer all these things were happening and so it's like I didn't come out and say this is me now right (laughs) but I did change I I started to do things that uh, I normally wouldn't do like I dyed my hair pink Okay. And that was a big deal. My my partner at the time was like, what do you do? Like, was criticizing it and, like, mm-hmm. kind of saying this is extreme. Then I cut my hair off. Then I started to dress different and started to dress how I was comfortable because I would be wearing things on my body all day that felt bad. That reminds me of a conversation that you and I had a couple of days ago mm-hmm. about the Spanx. Oh my god! <laughs> and, spa- but yeah, but I was you were Spanx, talking like, about work all day. the layers yes. that you would put on because you uh-huh. maybe felt self conscious about. 
It was things. just what you did as a woman. I don't even know how else to describe it. It's like some at some point somebody says something about Spanx and you're like, I'm supposed to be wearing Spanx, I guess. And so you start and wearing And so you Spanx. buy Spanx and then you wear them. And it's like anything to feel normal. Anything to feel like I'm just like everybody else. Because like my whole life I'm feeling like there's something wrong with me. So it's like I need to get a degree. I need to get a job. I need to do this. I need to do this. And then I'll feel normal. Right. And it's like, no, <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I remember when I, when I decided I'm not ever going to wear these again. Yeah. Was and that it, just like the most liberating feeling? I, w- I was like, yeah, I I think I tried to put them on. And I was like putting all my stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, I was training for a marathon. And then like after running 15 miles, putting on a pair of Spanx to go to work. It's insanity. <laughs> wow. That is insane. Yeah. Um. So did you have any interactions with those people when they started noticing those things where you kind of had to just yeah. let them know, Hey, I'm just kind of doing me right now or, or what? So like, it was more of like, um, so like I said, I'm going to kind of get a little bit personal, which is nerve wracking for me. So bear with me. Um, like I said, my brother had cancer. Um, and so it was during that time that I was sort of going through this transformation, getting diagnosed with ADHD, all that stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, he went through chemo, uh, he went into remission, everything was fine. Um, and then it was at that time that I started to break away okay. um, from people and I started to work a lot. And so it wasn't like, I was like, I'm gonna, uh, I started, I became a therapist where I was working. So it was like, I was working more. And so it was more of like, if you were to look back at the text, it would be like, you're too good to hang out now. You're working too. It would be kind of fluctuate between like, I'm too good for like them saying I'm too good for them. And you're working too much. We're worried. Okay. So it was like a fluctuation between like, we're worried. Fuck you. We're worried. Fuck you. And so oh. it was like sort of this like natural, like distance that kept getting put between me and my family, me and certain friends, things like that to where it, it, the, it when COVID happened and I moved out, it was like the world shut down anyway. Right. Like the whole world's on fire. Might as well just embrace who I am. And then I just, yeah, I just sank into that alone. It's kind of interesting because, you know, we talk about these things. We talk about like in the religion episode, the dating episode about meeting me, meeting Mm -hmm. people that have all like in my same age group that are, that are leaving things. And and you mentioned Trump being the catalyst for that. And I know we've talked about COVID. I want to say two more than that uh, to put a positive spin on it. It was before it was my daughter. I I know, but it was having my daughter, honestly though, like having my daughter and, uh and then like having a daughter and like seeing the world of like, I am leaving behind, I'm going to leave behind my daughter one day and like then seeing like the Trump stuff and being like, right. I can't leave my, well, like, you know, uh, the, the, the point I was trying <laughs> to make, right. Katie, no, you're fine. Is that, you know, the Trump thing was the catalyst for, for, for some of those things. And, and COVID was also a catalyst for a lot of other things. Do you feel like, and we might be getting into some like universe woo woo shit, but do you feel like we're like in the midst of some kind of like paradigm shift right now? Uh, like some kind of a global consciousness and and I I mean I feel I sure in, fucking hope so. In a way, I feel that we are, but it also kind of seems cemented that we are when you see how much of a pushback we're getting from enemies of progress. <laughs> right. So I guess too, it's like that happens all the like. I guess like that's this isn't the first time in history where we've seen that, right? Right. But maybe like 
every time that happens, it becomes more and more profound. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird that we're seeing it like in real time. You hear about these things and I really feel we are. I reached for a long time for an answer like that. Like, Mm -hmm. is this the polarity shift? Is this the age of Aquarius? Is this like when COVID happened and like for a while, it was like Mm -hmm. mostly men that were dying, which... I don't know if you remember that being... I don't remember it, was, it do you, being okay. mostly men, but and that like, doesn't surprise for me. For a minute, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the this is like Mother Earth's revenge on Trump. I mean, I, I try to come up with every reason as to like, why is this happening? And that's a coping mechanism, isn't for it? For sure. <laughs> See, I learned Look that. Look at that. I learned that. I'm, I'm, I'm learning things. I'm growing. It's like and, free and therapy. It is, kind of. <laughs> Except we're not going to get that personal no, no. into my personal life because right. nobody wants to do that. I did have I another mean. question. Um, <laughs> and this is just kind of something that came to me. It wasn't really inspired by anything that I had seen, but it just kind of popped in my head. Do you think that someone who has masked for a prolonged period of time, let's say decades, okay. could get into a mindset where they believe that everyone around them is also masking too and that nobody's real or genuine or authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. What would be the dangers of that? I, I, but here's the thing too, is that I don't know how, like I'm trying to think back to like before I had like the identity crisis and all that. Mm-hmm. Like, what did I perceive that I was doing? Was Would I have called it masking at that time? I don't think masking was really like a... A thing on the on the consciousness. Right, I thought we. That's just how you did it. Like mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, what I thought was that I was wrong. Everything about me was for some reason wrong. I didn't have an explanation for it. But if I did these things, then I would feel right. Mm-hmm. But then, like it just the bar get kept getting like set higher and higher. So right. it's like if I just can have a pool. <laughs> I don't know, fucking like anything that would like make me feel like. Anyway, so before we wrap it up, because we are kind of closing in, and I do want to read to you a um, something that someone had sent in. I need to get that pulled up. I totally lost my train of thought. What did we last talk about? Uh, We were talking about like if like everybody thinks that everyone's masking and nobody's real, right? Do you ever like? I have felt like imposter syndrome. Okay, that that's what kind of comes to mind when. I feel like I'm a fake mm-hmm. and I really felt that really hardcore whenever I worked for a big retailer, got into like a higher management position, was given a lot of responsibility, being paid a lot more money. Mm-hmm. And I could not stop from thinking that they are going to find out that I'm incompetent yeah. and that I cannot do this. And I'm going to be finally exposed for the fraud that I've always been. And they're going to learn that Eric ain't shit. He has no leadership abilities. He, you know, he's faked his way through it. Do do you feel like that's probably a symptom of masking for a lot of people? I know that when I got got my grad assistantship and Mm -hmm. I got a phone call from, uh, I I really have a soft spot in my heart for him. Um, the the director there, his name is Doug. His name is Doug. And uh, he called me to tell me that I got the assistantship. And I remember saying, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you have the right person? Wait, really? Me? <laughs> and then for probably the first six months, I, I every single day I was like bracing myself for them to be like, we fucked up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're not like... <laughs> There was a problem in the, like, we actually confused you for somebody else. Like, any, like, I just was like, turns out you weren't as good at this job as we thought you were. There's two Katie Ann Harrison's to go here. (laughs) I feel like 
Um, one of the things that helped me overcome that, remember in that one episode where I talked about like my mentor, Tim? Yeah. He always made a point to tell me anytime I felt like I was having doubts, if I didn't think you could do this job, I wouldn't have given it to you. And say like so I nice know you can do like this. That. Well, that's kind of like I I picked up on that pretty quick, and it's one of those things where like if someone like really believes in in you, it can be pretty life changing. Oh fuck yeah! So that's one of the things that I always try to make a point to do with the people that directly report to me. If I can sense that maybe they're struggling, do and you just do let it? them know. I'm like, hey, if I didn't think you could do this job, I wouldn't have hired you. You know, and and yeah. I think you're you know great Would you for it. Say and that? I make sure to give a lot of positive feedback, shout them out, and. Like we had a team meeting, uh, a company wide meeting, which is kind of awesome because like everybody in the company's in the same Zoom call and they're all drinking oh, yeah. beer and stuff. It's it's fun. It's a fun place to work. Oh, see, that sounds um, like my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I made a point because I had some new people on the team that were doing really well, and I had someone that left my team for a higher paying position that's also doing really well. And so I wanted to make sure that I was like in front of everybody, Mm -hmm. like praising them and letting them know how proud I was of them, of the, of their performance and the job that they're doing. But it was one of those things that like my boss did for me that really stuck out to me and, and kind of really like, Oh man, that made me feel great. So I'm going to make sure that that is in kind of like my arsenal when I'm talking to people that report to me. So Sarah was my boss for three years. It makes a huge difference. Uh, was she supportive? Was she? Yeah, she was awesome. Like she really was like one of the first bosses that I was like, oh, like she actually does want to see me succeed. It's like a great when I moved on from the department, I was I was like I was excited to tell you, um, because it was like I knew that she'd be excited for me. Right. Yeah. And you know, uh, when I got promoted finally um, after he had already left, I remember calling him and letting him know. Oh. And. Uh, you know, I was like, I just want to thank you for everything you did for me. And, and even then he was like, you did that. It wasn't me. Aww. It didn't have anything to do with me. And I'm just like, oh, I love you, man. <laughs> did you ever like call him dad? <laughs> call him dad? <laughs> no. Have you ever seen? No. Come I on. mean, no. It's... But I mean, I think there's a. I mean, you've seen that trope. Come on. Right? Yeah, okay. I know. The father figure. All right. So we are about to wrap it up. Uh, we do have a, a listener question. Ooh. Okay. But I do want to kind of give you an opportunity if there's any like an email? final thoughts. Yes. If there's any final thoughts um, about masking that you might have, if we okay. want to put a bow on it here before the end. Okay. Let me know ahead of time, though, when there is an email like that came in. Cause no, we talked about it earlier. I said, we're going to read this question about this. And you said, OK. OK, I'm sorry. I got confused. I thought this was something else. OK. I, I'm, but do I'm you have anything else to no. say to our listeners about masking if there's, you know, I think like share us, share like your stories with us on mm-hmm. Facebook and stuff. Email us if like you have um like a story about like how you realize that you're masking and you don't want to do it anymore or maybe if you like are wanting some additional like advice on how to unmask yeah yeah you can email us at neurodetergent.pod at gmail.com you can find us on facebook you can find us on instagram um all that kind of stuff you can even leave us a voicemail no one's done it yet i I wish someone would it's in the description of the episode and uh you it'll just record it right there on your phone but this is a question about pathological demand avoidance and i had asked you about it earlier because I kind of wanted you to to mentally prepare you, uh, like you just asked me to do, <laughs> but you already forgot. Um, Katie, in episode four, you mentioned you have a tendency to be oppositional. 
Yes. Which brought to mind a question. I have a 24-year-old child who has been diagnosed with many things, one of which is oppositional defiance disorder, which I had no idea was even a thing. Um, Sorry, that was me adding it. (laughs) We often joke about how even if they want to do something, the minute it becomes something they must do, they will refuse. Recently, we have discovered my child is autistic and likely never suffered from any of those previous diagnoses. It is suspected the oppositional, defiant, the oppositional defiance disorder is actually ASD with pathological demand avoidance, or PDA. PDA seems to be a fairly new discovery, as it is not in the DSM. So my question is, have you heard of pathological demand avoidance? And is it possible there are many people out there diagnosed as oppositional who may actually be on the autism spectrum with this PDA profile? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, before this question, before before you brought it up uh-huh. earlier, when I looked it up and like read it, uh-huh. uh, how I missed out that whole thing, I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but so I think that um, there are so many misdiagnoses of oppositional defiant disorder, anxiety disorders, things of that nature mm-hmm. that are actually ASD um, with, you know, co- comorbidity or comorbidity or, or whatever right mm-hmm. that it's like to even start to like consider the numbers i can't even process but you definitely think it's possible i absolutely think it's possible i think that like a lot of women who are diagnosed with anxiety disorders mm-hmm. are probably on the spectrum or have adhd really i do think that and that's me just like with my experience and my education and like the things that i've read and stuff that doesn't mean that it's true but i do think that right um <laughs> What exactly is, because again, I'd never heard of this, what exactly is oppositional defiance disorder? Or how would you, how would you describe that? Because that's... It's a childhood diagnosis. A lot of times it's like the precursor to conduct disorder. Conduct? What's conduct disorder? Conduct disorder? It's a behavioral disorder. So is this like... Antisocial. The the names that they give things, like when a kid doesn't... Sociopath, yeah. Doesn't want to do what they're told? No, it's like, um, usually somebody will be diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder if they are uh, a teen or a Mm preteen and they get in trouble with the law. Okay. <laughs> that and then and then they have to go and probably like uh connect with the juvenile office, right? Which mm-hmm. is like the police for kids. And then they'll have to do treatment probably and to get billed, they have to find a disorder that matches and oh, if see. they've been in trouble with the law, that disorder will be ODD. So it's probably <laughs> so it seems more like a behavior disorders and It kids. seems more of like a bureaucratic thing. I mean, when you put it that way. In a lot of ways, like diagnostic criteria and things like that, uh-huh. um, are bureaucratic. Oh wow! And it is ways to get paid. <laughs> wow. So uh, I did want to pull up the definition of this pathological demand avoidance, um, just because. Do you think when you were talking about your blinker, do you associate it with that when you read it? Read what? The pathological. I'm still trying to pull it up. Oh. <laughs> just but do you feel me. that's not? It just says a pattern. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I found the uh, definition for pathological I mean, demand I avoidance for those of you who may not have be familiar with that term. And what it's saying here is a pattern of behavior in which kids, it says kids on here, go yeah. to extremes to ignore or avoid anything they perceive as a demand. Right. Because there is like a diagnosis in the DSM of avoidant. 
personality mm-hmm. disorder. Avoidant. And that would probably be what somebody would be diagnosed as an adult. I don't know. That's not in the DSM, so it's hard to even say. Do you think you have yeah. some traits of pathological demand yeah, avoidance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything that I perceive will like take from me, like mm-hmm. demand from me. Um, like my mailbox. <laughs> I checking hate checking mail. my mail, That's man. So I weird. fucking hate it. So, do you want to know? Like, I, again, you don't have to do it because I know of your your avoidant personality, Katie. But what really helps me with the mail is if you sign up for informed delivery on their website, because then you just get an email and it gives you a scan of everything that's coming I today. Do have that, and I you still, do, and you still can't check because, the mail because then it'll be like picture not included or something, and I'm like, oh. <sighs> Don't you? That hate makes it? it worse when it's not included and it says there's something in there, but the picture's not in there, and I'm like, don't you hate it when you get uh, just junk mail and you're just like, they're just sending me garbage to throw away? No, I if I open my mailbox and it's all junk mail, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> I mean, I ha I feel like the mail delivers bad news. It's like really? getting a call from your doctor. It's like, Ugh. wow. What about packages though? Here's probably something that's important. I did not get mail as a kid and like get excited by cards and things like that. Uh-huh. I've never been somebody that's had cards sent to me Aww. or like things like that. So maybe that has something to do with it. That like when I check my mail, it's always something that's demanded. Wow. It's not it, until I got like Ipsy. <laughs> okay. It wasn't a fun experience usually. Really? Yeah. I've that's never like waited in the mail for a birthday card. Wow. Waited in the mail. Waited for the Waited mail. on the mail. Yeah. <laughs> we get what you mean. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I guess that's probably going to do it for today. Okay. If anybody, like I said, if anybody has anything they think they can add to the discussion. Send us pictures. We want to see your before and after yeah. your unmasking. Before and after unmasking. I'll send us mine. your Send us your um, situations or yeah. questions or, or anything. And again, if you feel like you might make a good guest to yes. talk to. Holler at us so, and we can talk about that. Uh, this is not going to be a two-parter. Are we going to do narcissism next time? We're, we'll do narcissism next okay. time. I want to prepare a little bit more for that. Okay, one. cool, cool. But all right. So that's going to be right. it. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.